Stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, visit www.3cr.org.au. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome. I'm AC and you're listening to The Radioactive Show, recorded at 3CR in Fitzroy, Melbourne, on the traditional lands of the Rwandri people of the Kulin Nation, and broadcast across the stolen continent through the Community Radio Network. The last week of April is a big week in the Nuclear Free and Peace calendar. With Anzac Day on Tuesday the 25th, the Chernobyl anniversary the next day, and Saturday 29th, marking the one-year anniversary of the nomination of Bandiuta Station in the Flinders for a national waste dump. Mara will be covering the nuclear waste dump anniversary in the next show, um, and I highly recommend Greg's Anzac Day show on the Frontier Wars from last week, which you can find on our website, www.3cr.org.au backslash radioactive, and that's three the digit. On today's show, I also wanted to cover the ANZAC theme, but from a slightly different angle, with a recording from an event put on by the Medical Association for the Prevention of War, called The Real Story of Why We Go to War. It was a diverse and thought-provoking night, including music, poetry, talks, and a comedy act. Michael Hamill Green, Vietnam War resistor, gave much food for thought about the reality of foreign wars Australia's been involved in, and its impact on people back home. In our current um, ANZAC World War I centenary commemorations, we remember and we celebrate the undoubted courage and heroism of the diggers. But there are some things that are missing in the official war narratives. The dubious reasons for going to war in the first place, the unintended consequences of war, how Australian peace movements sought to head off war in the first place or end it through negotiation, and how um, anti-conscription movements sought to prevent young people becoming cannon fodder in indefensible wars. There seems a, a near total amnesia about how the war came about, the scale of the deaths and injuries it caused directly or indirectly, and the way in which Australian people came to directly protest and um, constrain the war-making policies of governments of the day. So looking first at the World War I death and destruction, were a total of 11 million soldiers and 7 million civilians killed on all sides. In Australia's own case, it lost over 61,000 out of a total population of 4.9 million at that time. And that is one in 80 people, if you can imagine that. But that was not all. An unintended consequence of the war was that the demobbed soldiers brought back the Spanish flu, incubated in the French military staging camps. This killed a further 50 million civilians across the world, um, over twice the number who, who died in the war itself. And what was all this for? Catholic Archbishop Mannix, one of the few establishment figures at the time to oppose the war and conscription, put his finger on the basic cause of the war, saying it was, quote, a sordid trade war in a 1917 speech he gave in Brunswick. And there was a wonderful reenactment of that um, I wrote contact just um, a couple of months ago. Um, the economist Thomas Piketty recently noted that it was, quote, the heightened competition among European powers for colonial assets 
um, that ultimately led to the declaration of war in the summer of 1914. Australian World War historian Douglas Newton writes that we plunged into that war without any prior British or Australian parliamentary authorisation or considered debate of the specific war objectives and, and what might have been uh, an alternative diplomatically. And it was no accident at that time that England brutally suppressed the Irish 1916 Easter uprising for Irish independence. And nor that the Versailles Treaty included the transfer of German colonies, including Papua, given to Australia. The highly punitive terms of that Versailles Treaty then set the stage for World War II, just two decades later, due to the economic hardship forced on ordinary Germans. Something that was exploited by the Nazis to gain power through the all too familiar populist resort to nationalism, xenophobia and scapegoating. And there was also uh, amnesia about how the majority of Australians responded to what was happening in that war. In all the Anzac commemorations, you could be forgiven for thinking that Australians were gung-ho for the war from beginning to end. We are said to be proud of how we forged our national identity in the cauldron of that war and in how we achieved ultimate victory. That is, if you can define the outcome of 60 million dead, indirectly or directly, and created the conditions for World War II, how you can count that as any sort of victory. So ignored in all that Anzac myth-making is that however much um, Australians may have initially been swept into that patriotic war fervour or coerced into volunteering by fear of social ostracism, the white feathers, uh, they were far more critical of the war in its last three years. In two successive national referenda, 1916 and 17, the majority of Australians, including, it is, it is thought, the majority of soldiers on the front line, voted against conscription to send young men to the war. Australians at that time were aghast at the casualties affecting almost every extended family. As support for the war waned in early 1916, a coalition of workers, unionists, Labour Party parliamentarians, socialist groups, women's groups, Irish Catholics and pacifists worked together to oppose the war and conscription, and conscription as that means for supplying the cannon fodder for the war. The success of the anti-conscription forces in winning a no vote at the two referenda was in the face of seemingly overwhelming odds. The government, the mainstream media, the Protestant church leaders all supported conscription, called anti-war opponents cowards and introduced severe censorship to suppress any anti-war voice. So if this was the time Australians forged their national identity, it seems that at least half of all Australians would have forged their identity in opposing war, at least in the sense of opposing the supply of further cannon fodder for that war. Since then, our leaders have been disinclined to put issues of war and peace directly to the people, or even to prior debate and authorisation by our parliament. While most Australians supported the Second World War, in which Australia was under direct attack from Japan, Subsequent wars in which we have become involved are far more controversial, particularly the Vietnam and Iraq wars, and our ongoing post-war involvement in US nuclear war preparations and systems. That was Michael Hamill Green, Vietnam War resistor, speaking about the strong anti-war sentiment during the First World War in Australia. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, recorded at the 3CR studio in Fitzroy, Melbourne. Here's the rest of Michael's talk, where he goes into more detail about Australia's involvement in the Vietnam War.
In the case of Vietnam, we followed America into the 1962-75 Vietnam War after the colonial power France was defeated by Ho Chi Minh's independence movement in the 1954 Battle of Dien Bien Phu. The American strategy was to, quote, contain communism by preventing Vietnam becoming reunited and independent under a Vietnamese communist-led government. We were lectured by successive Menzies, Holt, Gordon and McMahon governments and the mainstream media that unless Australia joined the war, the communist dominoes would keep on falling and we would find the communists on our doorstep. And the Vietnamese communists did indeed in 1975 win the war, but surprise, surprise, the dominoes did not fall. Needless to say, there was no mere culpas for the liberals or the media for their fear-mongering at that time. And our Vietnam involvement was to cost some 500 Australian soldiers their lives and over a million Vietnamese lives, mainly civilian. The Vietnamese were subjected to an unprecedented aerial bombardment in which the US and Australia dropped more tonnage of bombs than in the entire Second World War. As in World War I, the anti-Vietnam War anti-conscription coalition was a broad spectrum of labor and trade union groupings, socialists, pacifists, draft resistors, church groups, women's groups, and local community groups. The key uh, development was the Vietnam Moratorium Movement, which organized massive demonstrations of some 200,000 nationally. And this broad coalition was successful in bringing about an early Australian withdrawal and the 1972 Whitlam uh, government termination of conscription. More recently still, we have seen Australian involvement in the so-called Coalition of the Willing 2003 intervention in Iraq to topple Saddam Hussein. As in the case of Vietnam, Australia participated under US pressure despite the absence of a UN Security Council mandate for the intervention. The pretext uh, for going to war was the claim that Saddam Hussein possessed weapons of mass destruction. In fact, as verified at the time by UN inspectors, Iraq had already relinquished such weapons. So the enormous destruction wreaked on Iraq at the time and the civil conflicts spawned there ever since were based on demonstrably false claims. And even now, we seem to have learned nothing from this disastrous pattern of pursuing military interventions <coughs> involving ever more destructive weapons and technologies, while at the same time ignoring diplomatic, preventative and multilateral solutions to international conflict. Douglas Newton's verdict on World War I seems truer than ever, and I quote, the lesson that in the displaying absolute loyalty to allies, Australia will risk absolute loyalty to the misjudgments of others. That lesson has never been learned. Recent comments by the Turnbull government and echoed by Shorten, uh, Shorten's Labour opposition indicate that Australia is yet again rushing in to support the US and Donald Trump in military attacks on Syria and Yemen and backing the recent Trump decision to send a nuclear-capable naval armada to fix the threat posed by North Korea, all without UN Security Council authorization, without any proper debate and authorization by our own parliament. And at the same time, and again following Lemming-like in the wake of the US, um, in the wake of the US, Australia is boycotting the current UN negotiations to ban nuclear weapons in the same way that other chemical and biological weapons of mass destruction are banned. We are choosing to sign with the nine nuclear weapon states rather than the great majority of some 120 non-nuclear UN member states. The current case in North Korea is disturbing indeed. 
It seems the US, with the support of our own government and opposition, is prepared to risk action that could see the deaths of millions of people living in Seoul just 50 kilometers south of the border, well within artillery and missile range of constantly ready North Korean forces, as well as potentially triggering military action by nuclear-armed China, which has a defense treaty uh, obligating it to come to North Korea's aid in the event of an attack. War could break out merely through an accident or miscalculation by either side, thinking that the other is about to mount a preemptive attack. It's one of the paradoxes of so-called nuclear deterrence that the very hair-trigger capacity to make such deterrence credible can accidentally or through miscalculation unleash the catastrophic consequences it ostensibly seeks to avoid. We now seem to be entering another nuclear crisis similar to the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis. We only averted a nuclear holocaust then because President Kennedy was prepared at the time to stand up and to counter, stand up to and countermand his own military who wanted to invade Cuba, blissfully unaware that Russian ground forces there were armed with tactical nuclear weapons and very ready to use them. This time round, with an impulsive and inexperienced American president giving free reign to the US military, talking up preemptive strikes, and facing equally militaristic adversaries also talking up pre-preemption, we are clearly entering one of the most dangerous periods ever confronting humanity. As Donald Trump's nuclear arm armada heads towards North Korea as we speak, Bob Dylan's indictment in his song Masters of War, written not long after the 13 nightmare days of the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis, are as relevant today as when it was first composed. You that build the death planes, you that build all the bombs, you that hide behind walls, you that hide behind desks, you play with my world like it's your little toy. You lie and deceive that a world war can be won. Thank you. That was Michael Hamill Green, Vietnam War Resistor, speaking at the Medical Association for the Prevention of Wars event, The Real Story of Why We Go to War. You're listening to The Radioactive Show. And now, as they say, for something completely different. Rod Quandock's stand-up comedy plays on the absurdity of war. Here he is to take us through a brief history of time. I wanted to talk to you um, about war. Um, now, hands up the people who are in favour of it. Okay. Hands up the people who've got a sat-nav. Come on, you got them, haven't you? You wouldn't have that without war, you know, Velcro. Use Velcro, that's a product of war, it's been fantastic. Medicine, medicine has absolutely boomed thanks to trying to put back together the fragments of human remains. Uh, war's been very, very beneficial in many ways, but it, can you hear me without the microphone? Not you here, up the back. No, no thank you. Oh, I'll grab this one. So, <laughs> I just wanted to, um, but fortunately most of you are old, <laughs> and... Uh, so history is not going to be such a big problem for you, but I, I occasionally get to talk to young people who've got no idea of uh, how we got to where we are um, and what a, a part that war played in things. So I just want to give you a quick history lesson. Uh, the Big Bang here, the beginning of the universe, nine billion years, the Earth formed, another billion years, better get blue for this. Um, water came to the planet, oh that's green, never mind. Water came to the planet and with water came life. 
and with life came David Attenborough. So now things are moving along really well and we go along and we go along and we go along until about 200,000 years ago and that's when we appeared, Homo sapiens sapien. That's us there. And then about, oh, it's roughly 12,000 years ago, civilization began. Now, I think we should have had a plebiscite. I really think this is the turning point and the beginning of most of our problems. Now, we go along here to, well, 1933, uh, Hitler comes to power, but this is a significant one, 1937, John Howard was born. Now, um, those of you who don't remember John Howard, here he is to scale. That's him there. He was a very little man. He hung around and he hung around and he hung around and he finally became Prime Minister. And within a minute of him becoming Prime Minister, the whole country just went, oh my God, what have we done? But then we had Port Arthur and he came right back up because he, John Howard, at the end of that, declared that he would bring in uh, gun control laws, which he did. Good on him. Hey, for John. And uh, it's great because now in Australia you can't get a gun unless you want one. And that's been a very significant issue. So then what he found here is that next we had the Tampa, okay, uh, and then we had 9-11, all right, and all of a sudden he becomes what he always wanted to be, a little military dictator. He, if you want to know what he's doing now, he's writing a book called Bratman at Gallipoli, combining his two great loves. And um, so with 9-11 came the invasion of Afghanistan and then we invaded Iraq. Okay, now, as Michael pointed out, we went because they had weapons of mass destruction, uh, but when we got there, we couldn't find them. I mean, we looked everywhere. They liked, they, we looked under here, but he didn't have them. Perhaps he hid them under this um, Arabic mat. No, they're not. Where did the weapons of mass destruction... We knew he had them because we sold them to him, but we couldn't find them. So then we had to find another reason to invade Iraq. And this is where I began to think that Donald Trump was an inevitability. Here is a country... United States with more weapons of mass destruction than all the rest of the world combined, chemical, biological, nuclear and things we haven't even thought of yet, they've got them in spades. They can destroy life on Earth 50 times over, at least. And I'm here to tell you, you only need to do it once. That was Rod Quandock, comedian. There are many ways to express anti-war sentiment, and music is a common vehicle. It was represented at this event by Brunswick Rogues Choir with the song Ghosts Don't Lie, written by Stephen Tabiner.
that was the Brunswick Rogues Choir and a song called Ghosts Don't Lie, written by Stephen Tabiner. Next, we've got poet and author Alice Maliki Ulgiza sharing some moving pieces of poetry that convey a human response to war based on her own experiences. This first one is called In Memory of Aleppo, where I lived maybe about 10 years ago. Um, it's partially inspired by uh, flipping through Proverbs, chapter 3 and 4, from the character of wisdom in Proverbs. In memory of Aleppo. Wisdom is crying in the streets, for she cast her bread upon the waters, but after many days it did not return. So now she runs, searching for an altar in the ruins of the city where the bathhouse once stood, and the citadel sufficed for protection, crying, my head is filled with night, and the children are all gone elsewhere. But no one knows to whom she speaks, and all those who see her turn their heads, for she rents herself in absurd attire the rags of fools and princes, and turning to face the wind she cries, My head is filled with night, come with me to the water, there we can feel free. But the city is not what it once was, the night's no longer filled with saints, and though its people walk the streets, truly none can find the way. And all who hear her tongue hear only madness. For she speaks of fools riding horses of wind, of princes weaving crowns of filth. And wisdom is crying in the streets. Abdul, Rania, Ali, Fatima, your little limbs all torn by thieves. Gulistan, Abdullah, Aisha, Ahmed, come with me to the water. There we can feel free. But the children are asleep in the shadows of horses. Their minds rent with bombs, their vision blurred or stolen. The water is all but gone, and wisdom is crying in the streets. For in her hand there is no bread, and there is no altar that remains. Uh, this poem, uh, again, is one of mine, and it's called Freedom and Exile. And just briefly, it's about a woman I met when I was living in a village in central Anatolia in Turkey a couple of years ago, and uh, her name in Arabic translated to freedom. Her name is Hureya. And she was a Syrian refugee. She was in her mid-twenties, I guess. She was absolutely beautiful. She'd been living in the village in a house with no water, no electricity, and a bunch of kids and some other women, and she wasn't allowed to work, and she couldn't speak Turkish, and she was just pretty fed up. So one day she decided to walk back to Syria which is pretty fair walk. And I saw her on the morning of her departure and I was just really struck by the fact that her name was Freedom and she was walking back to war. And I said to her, what about, what about the war? And she was like, ah, war is war. So she was a brave lady. So this is for her. Freedom and exile. Oh, and the exile is after Edward Said's essay on exile. Freedom travels the path down from the mountains. The way is steep, an itinerary of separation, a drift in an estranged present that can lead only to an uncertain future. She wanders across plains, through villages, cities and languages. The walnuts ripen and rot on the branches. The wish to return, all that remains. Her refuge, the homecoming, no matter the war. That was Alice Maliki Ulgiza sharing two of her poems at the Medical Association for the Prevention of Wars event, The Real Story of Why We Go to War. That's all from us today at the Radioactive Show, where you've also heard Michael Hamill-Green speak, 
Rod Quandot joke and the Brunswick Rogues Choir sing. If you'd like to learn more about the Medical Association for the Prevention of War who put on this event, check out their website www.mapw.org.au. This show was recorded at 3CR Community Radio Station in what is now known as Fitzroy, Melbourne, but which is still the traditional lands of the Rwandari people of the Kulin Nation, and we acknowledge that their sovereignty has never been ceded. You can contact the Radioactive Show on our email, radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com, and that's three the digit, or look up our Facebook group under the name The Radioactive Show. Past episodes are available on the 3CR website, Go to www.3cr.org.au backslash radioactive. And again, that's three the digit. Thanks for listening, and here's to a nuclear-free future. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.